I'm Jordan Hagedorn. And I'm John Kim. And this is Sneaker Salaries, a deep dive look at sneaker news and sneaker culture with insights from those that live the passion and the lifestyle of sneakers. Today on the show, we're talking with the one and only Dominic Cembroni, aka The Shoe Surgeon. He's the CEO and founder of The Shoe Surgeon brand, but you might better recognize his work with all the amazing Air Jordan restructurings that he's doing. Glad to have him on the show. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. So Dominic, welcome to the podcast. You know, we've looked at you as kind of a pioneer as somebody who has taken shoes and and really made it a creative platform and almost an art form. Can you talk to us about your origin story and kind of how you first got into sneakers and fell in love with shoes and then kind of pretty much parlayed it into something we've never seen before? Yeah. So I appreciate you guys having me on. So thank you for that. Um, man, it's, I mean, in high school, uh, so, you know, over 15 years ago, my cousin let me wear her original 1985 Jordan ones. And I didn't know how special they were until I wore them. And, uh, I was able to speak without actually having to say a word. I was wearing these shoes that made me feel special. That made me feel good. Like people were, you know, coming up to me and just say, where did I get them? So I knew instantly, like I needed to find a cool pair of shoes to wear and to flex on people. Um, I was always very shy and quiet, uh, in high school and, uh, it took me fashion and shoes to kind of break through and make friends. Um, after that, I started getting Jordans early because if you wear the same shoe twice, it's just not the same. Uh, so I started getting Jordans early before they were even released. And then I'd go into like a footlocker and flex on them. Um, and then after that, all my friends had the same shoes. So I had to figure out like, what's the next thing. And I was always very creative uh, at a very young age. I was always uh, screen printing, painting, building things. And uh, I picked up an airbrush, an airbrush, an all white Air Force One mid in a camouflage, camouflage print and went to school. And it was, this, it was the same feeling like, yo, where did you get those? Except I actually created them. So something clicked at that moment. It was like, oh, you can just, you know, you can figure out how to create shoes, whatever that meant at the time. And it really changed from just creating to the craft and perfection because the paint fell off right away. So I was like, oh, now I got to find another paint. So then I started like, you know, networking and asking questions, asking around town of like, you know, who, where can I find better paint? And I met, uh, through a friend, um, I heard about this guy called ghost and ghost was like the, an older customizer guy in town. And he was like the fucking man. And, uh, you know, he was willing to show me where to go get the, uh, the, the special paint. So then I got the paint and then I kept painting shoes with this paint and it's still, I just didn't love like paint strokes. I was very impatient. And, uh, then I was like, I was sewing, sewing fabric, gluing them onto shoes. And then, uh, and then I was just searching out more. I mean, the story. Uh, I think that's really how I got into it. Um, the story is, is a little, is longer than that, but you know, that's basically how I got into it. Well, that's a good start. And and I can certainly relate, you know, the Air Jordan ones, I own 30 pairs of OG ones from 85. And there's just something about the way that shoe was constructed and what that meant for the culture. You know, Michael Jordan signs with Nike and, and that shoe becomes a phenomenon. And, and that really set the tone for what sneakers will become in the 90s and 80s and 90s and, and now what it is today. So 
You know, you talked about Ghost kind of giving you some secrets, right? And and there's something cool about that. And and there's maybe a moment where someone helped you along the way. Uh, and you've really, you know, kind of created a lot of masterpieces that you've now paid forward and, and are teaching some kids. So before we get into that, can you just talk about how, you know, past high school and maybe college age, you kind of start continuing to pursue that and make shoes and customizing shoes and things. At what point did it get serious where you either made some money or something clicked where you could kind of take it to the next chapter? I always knew that I was going to go to the next chapter, but specifically, I think it was, um, I mean, when I was uh, 19, I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was painting shoes for people going into the malls there. And it, it was more respected over there. It was more like, oh, this is cool. Um, but then, uh, I started searching out shoe repair and, um, just to, you know, hone my craft and perfect my craft. And then during that time of learning shoe repair and customizing shoes for myself and for friends, um, I got, I got a call from law and order SVU. I got, I was making shoes for one of the most high-end boutiques in Los Angeles at the time. Uh, H. Lorenzo. And then I got a call from uh, my mentor, Javier Laval, who owned Android Home to make shoes for Will I Am at the VMA. So all of this stuff happened like in within, you know, a month. So, you know, I made like $15,000, um, which was just a lot. I was just like, what? And I thought I was going to continue to come. And uh, so I think that was it. And it's not one thing. Um, when I went down there to deliver the shoes for um, Will I Am, that's when I met Justin Bieber's stylist. And then I started making shoes for him a few months later. Um, and then I would, that was some of my business and other um, celebrities here and there. Um, and then it was still like me in the, in the garage like doing orders like that, but then also just making stuff for myself, trying to like put my art out there. A quick shout out to uh, Benson and Stabler. SVU is one of my favorite shows. So uh, can you talk about that shoe a little bit? I think that's not really not that talked about. I mean, what was what was the project about? I know this is crazy because like a few things were happening at once. And like that one was for some reason happened to be my favorite. I mean, Justin Bieber was huge. He was young at the time, you know, and I was doing more show pieces. And then this one was just like it, it put me into a test of creating something for a tv show a dope tv show um that if you you get a chance go watch it it's called personal fouls okay um it's the one with the chris bosh is on it and a few other guys but um it was it was crazy um let me tell you my own personal story about how i first saw my first shoe surgeon shoe i was uh this was like maybe 2013 so you're what in like your mid late 20s at that time i think and I was just going yeah. up and down Fairfax um, with my friend Jerry Buttles, who's like a fashion photographer. And he introduced me to Guillermo of 424. And we're just at his shop, just chopping it up. You know, he's a good guy, good energy. And at the time, 424 is really known for um, their sneaker crowns, where those, you know, your metal pins, you put yep. the, the laces. And he gave me this keychain that I, I still use to this day. And um, he's so, like, yeah, man, let me, I got to show you these shoes. Uh, it's this, from this guy named uh, my, my buddy out in L.A. He's from... It's called the shoe surgeon. And I was like, I think I heard of that name, but this was at the time when sneaker customs were still mostly about painting, like guys like Mosh and yep. JW, like Dank and yep. whatnot. And then I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what to expect. And he brings out, it was just a regular Air Force One mid gray box. 
and it was like an all all red pair of Python scan oh, Air yeah, Force ones. ones. And I just remember looking at it. And at that time too, I think uh, JBF Customs was also doing stuff like that too. And I've never seen it in person. Yeah. But I remember looking at it and thinking, man, I think this is the next big thing in sneakers. I've never seen an Air Force One like this ever in my life. And I think he held on to it for a year because he said, I think he mentioned that he couldn't show it to anyone. And then a year later, that's when he hit up like Sneaker News and all the blogs say, hey, can you like talk about this shoe? And I think for me, that's when the name Shoe Surgeon just kind of like was permanently in my head. Yeah. Um, what's your relationship with, like with the guys over in LA? I know the Fairfax crew is a very like tight knit group. Yeah, no. So I'm 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 from the yeah. Bay Area. I'm from Northern California, and Guillermo is also from uh, the mm. Bay Area. So I think we clicked uh, right away. And I knew his brothers. Like I, I clicked with his younger brothers because uh, they were up in Sonoma. And uh, I I don't talk about that story as much. And it, thank you for bringing it up because it was definitely a pivotal time because all of this stuff was happening. And then my friend Joy Claire put me in touch with Guillermo at 424. And he's like, oh, I want to do this. And this was still at a time when I was like pursuing how to make shoes. Like it was, it was, it went from painting to gluing stuff on top, to gluing and sewing stuff, stuff on top, to then taking shoes apart, putting them back together with no uh, proper traditional shoemaking, and then actually traditional shoemaking mixed in. So it was a lot of progress. And I mean, that was, I tell that story to a, a point because all of the soles we sewed on by hand. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't really spoke to him recently. I've been, I've been, uh, fucking just tunnel vision in what I'm building and uh, um, been taking care of, of me. So I haven't really been, you know, out, but you know, I, I can hit them up and yeah, say what's up to all, all those guys. But yeah. So the relationship was good and like, it was definitely a pivotal part in, in, in this the process. Yeah, I think that's when uh, the idea of a sneaker custom changed from paint to actually re- reconstructing a shoe. And uh, yeah, you have worked with some amazing, um, celebrities partner shows whatever but what's the one project to you that like really stands out something that you learned that you know what i can do this as more than just a hobby that and get paid a few bucks but i can make this into a full-on company it was two things at the time um and that's i think my my business is pretty well versed it's not just one thing um but i was i made uh, a Python Jordan four for my friend, Joy Claire. I just had Python around and I just shot her favorite color was black and I wanted to redo a bread and it just happened to do that shoe, put that out. Instagram was starting at that time. So I posted it and then it got reposted. And then, um, I think a little bit after that time, uh, me and John Geiger got together and we did misplaced checks mm-hmm. and you know, I made him, I think two samples and, uh, you know, at first he was like, Oh, do you think we can make, you know, more of these? And as an artist and you know, I was just like, no, I don't want to do it again. Kind of thing. Once I do something I'm done with, I'm over it. But, uh, I don't know. It was something about that one where I, I fell more in love with the process of how to make something better and faster. And that's when like a, a mini production kind of came, came about and I was like, Oh, this is cool. And then, uh, so I was selling Python Jordans and I was doing misplaced checks, uh, at the same time. So, you know, this wasn't like for celebrity specific, this was just making our art and selling it. And, uh, I think at that time I just knew, uh, this was more of a business. Now I had to learn through a lot of shit. Like I didn't understand, 
stand, you know, when I first made $15,000 that it's not sustainable to do things that way. And there's things that you need to do to organize and, and, uh, make things, um, stand, like standardize things and, you know, make it a business. So. Well, and, and that's something that resonates with me because, you know, we all kind of dabbled in sneakers in some way early on in our life. And, and at some point you need to make the decision that this is what I want to do. Right. And, and I think for you to turn it in from turn it into something that you were dabbling with, you were trying new things and doing things. And you said something a little bit ago, you were tunnel vision, you are tunnel vision. Can you talk about your decision to kind of go full bore, what that was like, the learnings you had, and then how you turned it into something where I think you've done something very rare that some customizers, they dabble, they play around, but you've scaled it and you've collaborated with some really huge brands. I think that's what I want to know more about is the decision to do that and, and kind of how that's been going. So around that time, um, a lot of customizers were like, we were kind of, we were, it was a Facebook group. I think at the time we all talked to each other. We're all cool with each other. Like we're all, well, for the most part. And, um, we would, you know, reach out to one guy for some information, give them someone else information. And then I was giving information. And I just felt like I wasn't getting it back. Um, I'm pretty open and I'm very, um, I'd like to, I'd like to call myself humble. So, you know, even saying that has some ego to it, but, um, so once I just stopped like following any of the other guys and trying to compare myself to anyone else and worrying about what anyone else was doing, I just focus on, this is what I'm going to do. And this is where I'm going to go. And that's when everything changed. It was just like, who can Don't worry about anyone else and just do what you're going to do. And it, and it took off. And that's when I moved to Los Angeles, thanks to my mentor, Javier, Javier Laval. And uh, yeah, and then it went, I just couldn't even keep up. So the demand was so, I had such a demand that it, I couldn't even keep up with it. Or maybe, you know, what happened looking at it now is I couldn't make shoes fast enough. So there was more of a demand. You know what I mean? Like there's some, it's true supply and demand. So that was happening. And I didn't know exactly, even to this day, I don't know exactly what the brand, where it's exactly the end all goal, because it's evolved so much. Like it went from, you know, I don't know if you guys knew this. I started the name shoe surgeons with the money sign in a Z uh, when I was 19 in North Carolina uh, with my best friend who was a DJ and he, we were kind of like making a brand. It was called shoe surgeons. Uh, we had a falling out a year later. It changed the the shoe surgeon. That was, you know, technically me, but at the same time, it wasn't me. It was supposed to be a brand. And then it evolved into me as the shoe surgeon, which now I want to get away from that because the shoe surgeon, it was never just about me. It's about anyone involved, my family, uh, friends, mentors, uh, now business partner, like, you know, staff, like it's not just one person. And that's what I want to make sure, uh, that people realize that this, this is a business and it's not just me single singularly. I think you mentioned that you like to be open and you like to, you know, share what you know. Um, at what point did you decide to turn that into the school? Well, to go back when I was 19, I met, um, I was working at a gym, uh, at the front desk and one of my friends that worked there with me signed up this guy that made boots. And, uh, it was just kind of weird. Like, Oh, they, everyone knew that I was like, I was into shoes and I was the shoe surgeon at the time or whatever. And they're like, Oh, you got to meet this guy. So I met him and we just clicked and it was just like, you know, we're both eccentric and just like, 
we were like, yo, we want to make a school, like a trade school, like kids need to learn how to make stuff. And like, you know, we, we both hated traditional high school as I'm sure many people did. Um, but it was just embedded. Like one day we're going to have a school. So then after being in LA for, I moved to LA when I was 26, I believe. And after being in LA for two years or a year and I, I don't know the exact time, I, uh, I got a call from Brooklyn shoe space who just had a class with JBF, I think. And then they hit me up there. Like, hey, do you want to, you know, you want to come out and do a class? And, uh, you know, at first I'm just like, uh, you know, I wasn't really, you know, it's hesitant. And then, uh, I did that class and it was a very stressful class. Um, I remember that was like a five day class. Uh, it was like a Monday through Friday. Oh, and during that class, I had Clark Kent come speak. I had Jeff Staple come speak. And so this is all happening. Like the power of like, just, I don't know, doing something cool. And, um, I was in the class, even the Saturday after, cause a few people didn't finish. I stayed late nights trying to help people. Um, and I've learned that that's not the best, uh, way to teach a class. So I've since changed it, but I just saw how passionate some of these guys were that, you know, came from all over just to learn how to make something. And I didn't have, you know, one teacher or one person give me that information. I had to, you know, piece it together from, uh, a few different people, which I'm, you know, grateful for. So, but at that time, that's when I knew it was just like, I need to, you know, this business is more, less about me. And it's like, how can I help other people? And it started with the shoes. And now it's like, it's, it's more than just the shoes. Even me going through, like figuring out how to learn how to make shoes. It was like learning about myself to overcome uh, mental problems, uh, stress, uh, life in general, and, and relate it to life. So yeah, now the, now the uh, classes are a big part of the business and I'm able to touch uh, people from all over the world in a way that can help motivate them. And either if they want to build a business or if they just want to do something that's uh, an experience that you'll never get anywhere else. And that's what the classes have been. And it, it's, uh, it gives me energy too. That's well said. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of kind of paying things forward. I think we all grew up as kids and had an opportunity to pursue this. And we did, and we're very fortunate to be able to share our stories now with younger people and not even just younger people, just passionate people who are interested in this craft or sneakers in general. So, you know, it sounds like you've taken things and it just snowballs little by little, and you kind of keep taking things as it comes. And, you know, we've seen you grow kind of a mini empire, really. Um, I wouldn't even say mini. It's become, you know, one of the people who have been at the forefront of customs. And it's it's nice to see not just paint, right? And um, we've seen some really, really highly uh, high quality products come from you. So can you talk about that process from where you came from to now? You know, you're a fully established business. You're collaborating. Can you talk about the the profound nature of the collaborations you've done and, and what you think, uh, goes into a collaboration that's important. Um, man, there's so many, uh, can you be more specific? Are you talking like collaboration with a brand or collaboration with a, a, an artist or an athlete or. Yeah. Maybe, maybe touch on just what have some of your favorite collaborations been and, and why was that so magic? I truly don't believe in favorites. The way I look at it is the moment and what, it, if it was a good or a bad decision at the time. And there's been a lot of good moments. So let's start with, I mean, you, you brought it back, like being able to collaborate with 424 was dope. 
like I've, I, you know, I forget about that one. I did something with uh, Supra at 413 back in the day. That was just like a, an amazing like intro to LA and intro to like, you know, celebrity and like sh- things like that. And, um, and then even misplaced checks at the time was huge. It was bigger than, uh, it was the biggest thing at the time. Well, at least it felt like it from my lens, you know, that everyone has a different perspective, but at the time it was just became a thing. So, but then you get into like the, the bigger stuff. And when you actually work with Nike brand and you actually work with Jordan brand, um, I remember working with Adidas, uh, Adidas was the first brand that I worked with, um, and a lot of them were coming to us at, for the culture and the create and, and more of like the energy rather than like design a shoe, make a shoe. Um, so the Jordan brand collab was, was such a big moment for me. It was, um, we, they were launching the Black Cat uh, 13 and I, they brought me to Chicago where there was uh, 20 influencers. Um, that were from Chicago. And I actually taught the process of how it, you know, how we break it down and remake it. And, um, that was just a big moment for me to be recognized by the brand that if it wasn't for Jordan, I you know, who knows if I'd be making shoes, right. Who knows if any of us would be in this sneaker thing. Um, and for the longest time, I just, uh, yeah, that one was just, uh, that was such an amazing experience. It was stressful as many things that I've done. Uh, but you know, to look back at it now and be in that moment of like, damn, this is amazing. You know, I think, uh, before, before you got that opportunity to officially work with Jordan brand, you know, it can be argued that a lot of your work kind of influenced some of Jordan brand product itself, whether indirectly or directly. And one thing that sticks to mind is like the the Jordan One Pinnacle series, where they basically released Jordan Ones that looked like they were kind of like the stuff that you guys made. What's your what was your reaction to that? Did you see it as like a an homage to the stuff you're doing? Did you see it as them kind of like stealing some of your ideas, or just what's the general thought when you saw that? Because prior to that, like they've never done like a four hundred dollar Air Jordan One until yeah. I mean, and and this is the way. I, I mean, I remember when I was like nineteen or I don't know, maybe I was 21 years old and I was like, I had this ego, like, you know, you know, I didn't like Nike and Jordan because of how big they were. And, um, I was only wearing Vans, which, you know, they're just, you know, big too, but I was just wearing Vans and it was just this ego of like, you know, looking at it now and I was like, oh, the quality's not good. And then everything shifted and it's like, I woke up and I was like, what Jordan brand did for the culture and even for Nike, like you can't, you can't repeat that. Like it's something that was so magical that now gave me a platform to be able to just craft shoes. And even if it, if they didn't like it or not, at least it got me into wanting to create something right. Because of the first Jordan that I wore, it was a, it was a shoe and the Jordans were already a thing. And, um, so I was more open and I was never, I was never truly like, Oh, they stole a design. Like there was so many people, other artists, I would always be like, they stole my design. And it's like, bro, we're we're making a living off of their design. You know what I mean? If it wasn't for that, like, so I think it's like a wash each other's back kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, pinnacle, they wanted to up the quality. I don't know if that was custom customizer specific or me specific. I think, Nike also works two years plus to make things happen. So 
you look, think about that. Like if, if something comes out and it looks like yours, but it was started two years ago, who copied who? So it's like, you don't truly know. And I've always, you know, I've, I've get this question a bit and it's like, maybe, maybe not. And it's like, I mean, I'm grateful that I'm able to do uh, what I do because of it. So it's like, for me, a design is based off of silhouette and, and pattern. It's a new design, right? So if it's Jordan one, it's a colorway and fabric. That's not a design to me. That's, I just remix something. So, you know, people send shit to me all the time and it's just like, Oh, that's cool. Like I don't take it any other way. And it's like I said, I'm just grateful that I'm able to do what I do. I think it, it brings up a good uh, segue to, I, I think, one of the bigger stories in sneakers this year so far, which is uh, when Nike happened to go after Warren Lotus for his uh, that Pigeon Dunk remake or whatever. Um, obviously, these remakes or whatever have been around for a very, very long time. Why do you think it was that one specifically that was singled out? And have you ever experienced anything from the brand in terms of any legal action? Um. I have not been in touch with the brand about anything uh, legal. I mean, I've, we have contracts with them for, for collaborations and partnerships. So I've been through legal documents with them. Um, at, for, as for that one, it was kind of, um, it was kind of a shock yet at the same t- time. And, you know, I, I res- you know, I respect him as an artist and I respect, you know, what, all of us are trying to do for the culture. And at some point Nike needs to draw some kind of line. Like you can't be the biggest and the best and let people just get away with things. And if you, you know, technically legally that, you know, that there's, you got to draw a line. So maybe he happened to be the one that they wanted to draw that line. But if you can see so many like knockoff Jordans that aren't, don't have the swoosh, right. There's the, you know, my, my homie Fugazi has like a gun backwards. There's um, the there's so many. And it's even like the what, what's his name did with the Vans uh, Revenge Storm. Like, yeah, that one could have been definitely uh, fought by Vans. But, you know, I think they're also just trying to be uh, the understanding of the culture and what's going on. And like there is a creative movement happening and a maker's movement so why i try to shut it down so for that one specific man that's that's just a, a tough that's a tough one man but i mean it's i mean it's challenging for me to speak on i'm like i said i mean i'm and that's even for what i do like a lot of people think of it as uh wrong um or illegal or whatever you want to call it and I've had so many opportunities in my life to make shoes in overseas, to get fake soles from, from overseas and my integrity to the brand um, because of what it's provided for me is to always, you know, use a real Nike shoe and deconstruct it or a Jordan. Right. And I could have, I could have made millions of dollars like crazy. And it's like, there's at some point you have this integrity. So for me, that's the way I look at it. I mean, that's, it's, it's a tough situation. Um, but you gotta be careful if, if it's someone else's design and you're, you know, you're making it, you know, from the ground up, you just gotta, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky business, even with what I do. Like, you know, I, uh, 
I'm aware of what we do and I've, I have, you know, Jordan brand come into the studio. I have, you know, all of these people come in, I show them like, this is what I'm doing. How can we work together? You know, like how can we do something together? Yeah. Like, you know, I had so many uppers um, from the shoes that we would deconstruct. And then I was putting them on, uh, I had Italian soles. I was putting them on Italian soles and I'm giving them to, uh, you know, a friend of mine at Nike told me this, we call them our friends, not homeless. Um, but you know, our friends around town that don't have shoes and I was giving those to them. So it's like, I'm trying to better the, the culture, um, and not just fully profit off it. I mean, you know, it is a business and we want to grow. And at the same time, you have to have some kind of integrity to, I don't know, the brand. You know, it sounds like you have a great attitude when it comes to how you honor and treat the industry. You know, it's something we have a lot of respect for. And I think it's cool that you've kind of risen to this success, but I, I think it's even cooler that you're able to share your story and kind of help others, not just on the sneaker front, but kind of along their journey. You know, you talked about things you've gone through. So and you have the school, you have a platform, you know, do you have any advice for kids or younger people or anyone trying to make it in sneakers? You know, we, this is sneaker salaries after all, where we try to give a little advice on, on how to make it. So can you touch on that? Well, first of all, is it your passion? Because I can only speak on of it. I was attracted to it because of passion. And like, there's, you know, a few things of like, if I wore those shoes, it made me feel good. And then that turned into like my passion. I needed to find that. Um, it wasn't about the dollar. So make sure it's your passion or something that excites you. Um, don't just do it for the dollar. Um, I mean, I wasn't making money for many years. You know, it wasn't about that. It was like, how do I get to that point? So, you know, but also I, I'm not, I didn't come into this business minded specific. So, you know, I'm, I'm just going to tell you my perspective, right? Um, make sure it's your passion, passion, find a niche, find something that no one else is doing or, you know, a part of it that you can turn into your own. I mean, write down everything, like physically speak it into existence. The power of manifestation is real. Like you can manifest it. Um, just be weary of your ego, be weary of um, the negativity that can come with it and, you know, always be balanced. Uh, focus on your health and don't, I mean, looking at it now, I would say don't make it your only you know, your only thing, but I made it my only thing. And that's also why it became what it became because I was obsessed with it and everything in my life had to do with it. Um, so make sure it's your passion, um, find a niche and, uh, be true to yourself and also figure out how you can help people because the world, you know, has enough big businesses, but how can you actually make, uh, create a voice and change people's lives in a, in a healthy, good way. And, you'll feel like you're winning even if you're not, you know? Great answer. I think that's a lot of uh, really great advice right there. I think myself and Jordan and pretty much anyone who works in this very small but big industry, we all share that. We all have a passion for it. We're all just crazy about sneakers. It wasn't necessarily like a means to make money. It's just we just loved it too much to the point where we couldn't really ignore it anymore. So uh, before we close out, I just wanted to ask you, like, what do you think is the future of your industry in general um, in terms of sneaker customs, so to speak? What do you think is the next step? And um, maybe just sneakers in general. I'm sure you keep, you're, you keep an eye on all like the sneaker releases that are happening. What's, what's next for sneakers in general, you think? Um, you're going to see a lot more people do original stuff. I mean, you already are, you know, John Geiger. Um, uh, I mean, I'm, I've been working on original stuff for, you know, 
since I started as well, it's just not as prevalent out there. Most people see the custom stuff, but they don't see what we do from scratch. So I think um, more original brands. Um, I mean, Mosh, right? Shout out to Mosh. He just launched his shoe. It's a, it's a huge deal. Like it's, it's very stressful. You know, you want to get it right. You want to be perfect. You want, you don't want to fail, you know, which, you know, the only, only way to fail is to by not do it. Right. That's what I've learned. And that's another tip we can give is like progress, not perfection. You're going to fail, but the, 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 True failure is quitting and not trying, you know? Um, so you're going to see more original stuff. You're going to see, I mean, you're already, I mean, you're already seeing it. Like the schools are going to turn, it's going to be bigger. Um, there's more, I mean, you see a lot of my, you know, past students are starting schools. Um, uh, I, I, this is something I, I pitched to Nike. Fuck. How long has it been now? Five years ago. Uh, they really need to, if you think about sustainability, there's two things that are truly sustainable. One, don't make any more product, right? But that's not, you know, that's not realistic because you need to figure out how do you bring in profit or how do you make money? And then the second thing is repair. Uh, and I'm grateful that I had uh, shoe repair and, and I learned that first, even though it wasn't technically the traditional way to make shoes perfectly, but if Nike can actually pop up uh, shoe repair locations, you see restoration, it's a big thing, but you have to send it to a kid in a room, right? So you don't know what the hell to expect. So if you can actually make that a business and like Nike, Nike can actually provide these components and pieces for authorized people. Like, I think that's going to, and I'm, I'm, I'm so far ahead. So you were talking years, you know what I mean? Like, but like next in the meantime, crazier artists, crazier customs, like, people taking the risk to do things funky and different and not just traditional, like, you know, revamping it and trying to make it uh, exactly like Nike. And uh, it's also them just putting their spin on it. So it's a way for uh, artists or excuse me, designers to get their foot into the door with Nike uh, easier, right? When you actually can physically make a product, you're 10 steps ahead. So um, yeah. And then, just designers understanding how to actually physically make something, it, it will shift how they can make things faster, how they can redesign it. Like it helps the industry as a whole. That's a good call. I mean, that's super interesting what you're talking about, about their shoe repair. I used to buy and sell and restore vintage Air Jordans. And I was that kid in the room you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned, you know, the homeless are friends who don't have homes and things. And it sounds like you've really done a lot of great things to take strides, not just making custom sneakers, but really moving the whole industry forward and kind of honoring and respecting that. So on behalf of us, I just want to say thank you for everything you've done to contribute and, and move everything forward. Uh, and thanks so much for for sharing the advice for younger people and and for us too. You know, it's kind of refreshing to see. Uh, it's a it's a great reminder. You know, we all get caught up in the day to day, but it is a nice reminder uh, to to continue to pursue it and 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 keep pushing. So, thank you so much for sharing your advice and thanks for being on the podcast. Of course. And uh, one last thing, I think to speak on is like to understand that there's so many, and it's just like in the NBA, there's so many people that want to get into the industry and there's like you guys like what are you guys doing right now right that's a job within the industry with sneakers it's not customizing it's not flipping shoes there's so many roles and jobs into this industry while it grows that you can do anything and you can actually make your own 
you can make your own business based off of what's not out there. So thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Appreciate the time. It was a pleasure to get to tell that story because I've had that 424 story. <laughs> no, in my thank head, you, man. You Such a good day. reminder. I'm going to text Guillermo right now. But yeah, man. Thank you so much. And uh, this was a, a pleasure on my end for sure. Thank you, guys. appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Take care. So that's it for this week's episode of Sneaker Salaries. But let's keep the conversation going online on our social media channels. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sneaker Salaries and hit us with a DM or a tweet. You can follow me personally on Instagram at John B-E-E-J Kim. And you can follow me on Instagram at Jordan Hagedorn. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if there's a topic you want us to tackle or a guest you want us to have on, you can reach out to us at sneakersalariespod at gmail.com. If you like the episode, feel free to share it with your friends and help spread the word. And please show us some love by leaving a five-star rating and positive review so we can grow this podcast. Sneaker Salaries is a sneakernews.com and 137 p.m. partnership and a Gallery Media Group original production.